0: Hey there, it's Coach Kim. Just want to put a big disclaimer on this episode. It does have some pretty dark moments uh, with relation to depression, anxiety, and death. So if that might be triggering for you or anyone else that might be listening with you, please feel free to skip this episode. Or if you want to listen through it yourself and then decide whether your kids or anyone else that might be listening along with you um, can handle the content, please feel free to do so. I hope that if you decide to hit skip on this one, you join us back again, Uh, but there are also some some great lessons um, and some great stories of overcoming some really tough stuff in this episode, so you may find that valuable, but please have a listen through first before you let your kids listen or anyone else who might be triggered by those subjects. Today's episode, I think we might just hit our apex on our second ever interview. Uh, You're going to hear a truly amazing story today of a phoenix rising out of the ashes who's built an amazing life after some incredible hardships and is inspiration to all young players, teammates, entrepreneurs, parents, people working in business, and yours truly, and she has been for many years. Kasumi Kobo is a former player of mine who was a captain of our junior team a recruited athlete who now runs her own business captured by Kobo that she built from scratch and works in full time at the tender age of 23. I still get to see Kobo all the time when she's taking pictures at the rink and I can't wait for you to listen to her story and for you to experience her infectious energy. Kobo, thanks so much for joining me here today to share some of your incredible stories with our listening audience.
1: Oh man, thank you so much for having me. Kim, I, I knew you said that there was going to be some tears, but I didn't know it was going to be so early on. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, well, you've earned them all. And yes, this is
0: going to be inspirational for everyone listening. I can guarantee that it will also be a great therapy session for Kobo and I. Uh, she's already cried. I will probably <laughs> cry. They're going to be tears for sure. Um, but I'm really excited about this because one of Kobo's greatest gifts and something that I Learned a little bit from her, but I think is one of my gifts, too, is we're both willing to be vulnerable and share uh, share some of our greatest hits, share some of our greatest failures and all the messy stuff in between. So that's kind of the theme for today is, is going through, you know, all the amazing things you've accomplished, all the hardships that you've been through, you know, sharing some of our stories together. And hopefully that will inspire um, a lot of our listeners to keep chasing their dreams no matter what comes at them in life. So I'd love to get started at the start of our story together, and and just so everyone knows, I had no idea Kobo was already 23. It made me feel old. Um, And so we've known each other, I guess, now for probably at least 10 years. So I'd love you to tell the story of little Kobo coming to the total female hockey camps back at the, you know, 11, 12, 13 age group, and just sort of how your hockey life looked way back then.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so way back then, uh, I was, so actually, I was born and raised in Japan, and uh, when I was coming to Total Female Hockey at that age, I was still living in Japan. Um, My grandfather lives here in Canada, and so every summer, I'd come and visit him, and that would be my opportunity um, to play some hockey, so my dad would put me in the Total Female Hockey camps, and uh, I had the opportunity to, you know, see what girls uh, here play like. You know, I met KDR, who you had on your last uh, um, guest episode. And uh, when I saw her play, I was like, wow, this is uh, pretty awesome stuff. And uh, at that time, I wasn't really thinking about the future or where I would end up where, you know, I know a lot of girls in your camp um, see themselves playing junior hockey, college hockey. At that point in my life, I was just here on summer vacation, um, going to your summer camps. And uh, yeah, at that time, it was it was just, uh, you know, to keep the day busy, to keep uh, hockey in my life. Um, but then I'd just go home, hit the pool. And uh, yeah, those were my summers.
0: Well, I think it's a great perspective, right? Is that, you know, it doesn't need to be all-encompassing. At that age, but uh, then I threw a little bit of a curveball at you, and I remember uh, it was probably I don't know how many years you'd been coming at that point, you know probably three or four, and this one particular summer, you know you just you know your skill level, your intensity level, everything kind of just took off like a rocket ship and um you know, I would say your focus and maybe your your desire to get better ratcheted up. I'm not sure where that came from. Um, but I thought wow this this person hasn't. Uh, you know, great skill set, a great energy. Um, You know, I'd love to have her come and play in Toronto. Um, And I asked you to come play on the junior team. And I'm sure you don't remember that far back now.
1: Oh, Um, I I absolutely do remember that moment. Um, Tell me about it, Kobo. Because when you asked me, uh, I had no idea what the conversation was going to be about. And you prompted, hey, we have an open spot on our team next year. Would you want to come and play? And I look over to my dad, and I'm like, did this just happen? What, what is she asking me? Does she want me to move to Canada? And my dad had that look on his face, because I knew that my dad wanted me to stay in Japan, graduate, because um, my dad was a teacher at the school I was at. He wanted me to graduate there and then move to Canada. But I was like, this is a solid opportunity. And I'm trying to, you know, convince my dad with a look of my eyes. And uh, I was like, I think I need to do this. Um, I don't remember exactly what the answer was that I gave you then, but I remember fiercely trying to convince my dad um, on the way home that this is an opportunity that I needed to jump on. You know, it just doesn't come um, like a lot of people work really hard for it and they don't get it. And I'm here, you know, coming to summer camps and all of a sudden I have a opportunity to play on a junior team. And so I was like, yeah, this is happening. And so, uh, that following year, um, so I went back to Japan, and that year was uh, really busy, you know, trying to plan, getting my citizenship, um, trying to plan everything before I, you know, changed countries, um, trying to make sure that the um, IHF knows that I'm now registered as a Canadian player. So there's a lot of things that needed to be done, but, man, it was all worth it. That conversation that we had, it, it you know, brought dreams um to me that I didn't really have in the past I didn't know where hockey was taking me and you're like here here's a dream take it and I was like okay so yeah that's how uh, I ended up here in Canada
0: that's uh, an awesome story and I'm you know it, it didn't seem like that big of a thing to me in the moment I'd been coaching forever and I'd, I'd had the opportunity to have kids from other countries play for us and you're right it it when you're in Toronto where we are and and hockey just consumes a lot of people's lives, especially in female hockey, were the kind of the center of the universe there. Um, it just sort of seemed logical to me. And I, I don't even know if I realized, like, I'm asking this player to move across <laughs> the world, um, you know, away from her parents. I knew your gran- grandpa was here. Um, and take this huge leap of faith. And I, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, at that time, you were playing on this team that had players, like, as young as you and all the way up to my age, like 40s, playing together yeah. and, and I think you were skating with a university men's team at the time like it, you know I'm asking you to go from this sort of haphazard hockey life to extremely structured you know four or five days a week traveling all over the province I can only imagine you might have when you were thinking what is she asking me to do yeah. it seems <laughs> a little bit out there but uh
1: yeah it was uh the hockey life here was completely different from what I was experiencing back home back home um, You know, our practices, because we don't have a lot of ice time in Japan, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the ice time is catered to public skating, speed skating and figure skating. You know, those are the teams that get the medals. Hockey was kind of like brushed under the rug. We had like 1 a.m., 12 a.m. practices um, and we would have like, you know, our team had, uh, you know, the younger team. So the um, elementary team. So from grade one to six. Um, but also the middle school boys team and then the women's team all practicing together. So about 40 players on the ice practicing and we'd probably touch the puck once every like five minutes and it it, it was trash. We would, you know, um, have practice probably like once, maybe twice a week. And, uh, you know, we played maybe like 10 games the whole season. Maybe, maybe not. Um, and so to come from that and to go into four or five days a week of hockey, you know, two, three games every week, um, I was definitely living the dream. It was a uh, 180 for me.
0: For sure. And, you know, so going back to that time, uh, you know, the years, those first two years you were uh, with our Lee Side junior team were probably two of our most successful years ever. Um, we had players like KDR and a whole bunch of other players like that who were, you know, super talented, like yourself, great attitudes, you know, really driven to work together as a team, as well as to uh, chase their own dreams. Um, so we won a lot of games there. And I know, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, you were a fish out of water in the beginning. Um, yep. I, I was trying to be delicate with you and, and you know, kind of preserve your attitude and, and your emotional state, because, you know, there was a lot of failure for lack of a better term right out of the gate I was taking you from touching a puck once every five minutes to you know playing 60 games a year against the other best players in the province and the country um you know during those first two years where you know you you sort of weren't a go-to player you were um maybe just you know fighting for regular ice time and and opportunities what was your mindset like back then Um, in terms of you know once you kind of figured it out and realized where you were you know how did you start to climb that ladder within the team and and earn a little bit more ice time uh, within our team structure
1: yeah the uh, first couple years um, the first year especially was really rough I think um, obviously the you know change in the the game in general you know again, from touching the puck, like you said, and just once uh, every five minutes in a practice to just go, 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 go. Um, I was really, really, really hard on myself. I think, you know, more than anyone, you know, even if I get yelled at by you, I was like, I already know this. I've yelled at myself already. Um, So I think for me to be able to climb that ladder out of that hole that I've dug myself into was to, you know, uh relinquish of the disappointment that i had in myself in my own abilities you know i think i carried a lot of other people's expectations right um coming to canada i i talked to people and you know I, i told people oh i'm gonna play in this you know the top league for uh girls my age in canada you know i'm moving to canada and everyone back home had really, really, really big expectations, especially my parents, about how I was going to play um, and compete with the girls over here. So I think I carried a lot of not just my own expectations, but a lot of other people's expectations that kind of, you know, brought me down. But to get out of it, I, I, I really needed to let go of that and truly start to believe in my own potential, which uh, took a while. But I think, you know, once... Uh, Especially when I, when I got that uh, assistant captain uh, position, um, I think that was a big turning point. I started to realize that I was no longer playing for myself and my own expectations. I was now responsible to you know make sure that the team was doing well, and it was a uh, it was that moment where I was like, oh, I can't be selfish. I, you know, I can't cry because I was disappointed in myself. You know, I have to be there for the team. And I think when I realized that was when things started to change.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And and I remember, you know, your reaction uh, when you got that letter on your jersey. And it is very well deserved. Um, you know, we're going to hear through this whole interview. I mean, you already can hear when you listen to Kobo. Her energy is off the charts. And um, she brings that in everything she does. You know, I I I still know, and 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 this is a little Easter egg for later in the episode, but you know, all the pictures you were taking, the videos you were making, like even back then, all the extra things that you would go and do, and and you're right, it's it's a hard age because players are chasing their own dreams, their own individual wants and desires of getting a scholarship or playing more on that junior team or you know moving up the ladder, and to be able to also focus on the team and and once you have you know a CRNA you're right you know whether you have the CRNA or, or not you know you, you everyone can be a leader but once you've got that on your jersey people look at you differently your uh, actions are judged a little bit more dif- uh, differently than than everybody else and you know it can be a burden um but it's also i think you know one of the greatest things i learned from from being in that position you know it's easy to be a captain or an assistant when everything's going sunny and rosy and it's really hard to do uh, when things are not. And, you know, that's kind of where I want to transition here. And, and for those of you listening, I, I know I put a little disclaimer at the beginning of the episode that this might go into some uh, dark and, and tough places and you may have some triggers um, depending on your life experience up to this point. So um, no worries if you, you know, at this point might be a point to tap out um, if you're worried about that sort of thing. Uh, obviously you'll join us on a future episode and um, I'll edit out some of the uh, the warmer and fuzzier bits for us as well. But just to give everyone the heads up. So, you know, after that second year uh, where we were one of the top teams in the province, um, we had a ton of success. Um, you know, you lost your mom and, you know, I can't even imagine how hard that was on you. I know all of us uh, were incredibly supportive but also maybe it kind of came out of nowhere uh for us at least and 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 for you a little bit um and I I don't need you to go into the nitty-gritty of that but I I know shortly after it happened was at the end of the season uh you flew home uh which you know must have been (laughs) very challenging being in a different country when that happened Mm -hmm. Uh, you know if you're comfortable I'd love you to sort of share your thoughts on How you felt, I guess, when you found out and and I know you've told me before that you had some some felt some guilt um, in those early moments about, you know, not being there. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you don't have to go into the I guess the dark and dingy parts of it, but how did you overcome that feeling of guilt or did you ever overcome that feeling of guilt of being so far away and chasing your dreams
1: when your your mom was going through something tough at home? Yeah, um, honestly, I I don't mind at all getting into the nitty gritty. I think I've come to a point in my life where I can talk about it, which is an awesome thing. Um, I think so, you know, uh, to to give a preview of what exactly happened. Um, My mom, she, you know, was always kind of in and out of the hospital. She did have some issues um, throughout her life uh you know and she i i have seen her in the hospital before and she had to go in for regular checkups i remember and uh so after one of her quote unquote regular checkups apparently you know they found that she had cancer and uh when that happened i actually had no idea because i was over here in canada and my parents didn't tell me that my mom was sick. And so they found out uh in October um before the year before she passed. And uh I had no idea until I want to say around like February, where um they told me in February that, you know, again, they went in for a regular checkup, they found cancer. However, they told me that it was uh that, you know. It was really early they found it early they got lucky um however that was also a big lie Uh, um she was already at stage four by the time they they found it so it was a pretty heavy situation but you know my parents and they they're the best they didn't want me to worry they wanted me to continue pushing um with my dreams and wanted me to you know keep my mind clear of things that were going on back home Obviously, my sister back home had to deal with everything, you know, at a really, really young age. And, uh, you know, so when I really found out how serious it was, it was actually a week before she passed. Um, A week before she passed, I had my graduation, which I was told that they were coming to. Three days before my graduation, I was called, I got a phone call and I was like, um, my dad was like, sorry, we can't make it. Your mom only has about a week. And uh, I think you're gonna have to come back, but we want you to go to your graduation. Obviously I was like, no, I'm not going to my graduation. Screw that. Um, But they were like, no, we're not gonna buy you the plane ticket. So stay in Canada, graduate high school, and then come over. So then I came over um, with about a week left uh, of her life. Um, You know, around that time, I didn't even know the feelings I was feeling you know, I couldn't conceptualize them. I didn't understand anything. I was simply just sad about everything that was going on more. I actually shocked because I was so, you know, left in the dark about what was going on. And so after she passed, that's when the guilt started to come in. You know, I was like, damn, I should have known. I should have been in Japan with her. I should have spent more time. I should have texted back. You know, my mom texts me a lot about Oh, you should do this in hockey, you know, maybe if you work on, you know, work on your sick handling, work on this. And I always brushed it off. I was like, yeah, okay, mom. Yeah, whatever. And uh, I definitely felt guilt for, you know, a long time after that. It was, you know, it got to a point where, you know, I, I lost my sense of self, you know, because I felt so guilty for who I have been and how how, how I've treated the people around me. Um, but in terms of overcoming that guilt, obviously, I still feel that you know, time to time, but I have to tell myself that you know, you know what you know at a certain age, and you can't go back and do things differently, right? Um, and all I can do is to learn from everything that's happened, you know, I, I have to learn from. My mom passing, not being able to spend enough time with her. Um, I have to learn from all these things or else, you know, she died in vain. She died for nothing, right? It has to all be for some reason. So I think, you know, to, to get out of that, you know, hole of guilt, I just had to really convince myself. It wasn't anybody else that could tell me differently. Everyone else was telling me, oh, it's not your fault. Don't worry. But until I really told myself from my own mouth, Hey, Kasumi, it's okay. Just do better. Right? That was one of our uh, one of our mottos at least I, just do better. And it sticks with me to this day. That's all you can do. You can't, you know, regret regret is such an ugly, terrible feeling. And all you can do is just do better next time.
0: Wow. I mean, it you know, I, I remember all of this and it feels like forever ago and it, it feels like yesterday, um, and you know, I'm still so sorry for everything that happened in, in that regard. And and I have a story to share. And I don't know if you remember this, but um we had a workout. Anyone who's played on the junior team knows about the stair workouts at Sunnybrook Park. They're kind of legendary. Um mm-hmm. I can't I went up this, those stairs yesterday with my kids. They had a cross country meet. I can't remember how many stairs there are there are in a row, but let's say 125. And um we used to run up and down and jump up and down those stairs and, you know, it was sort of a rite of passage uh, with the team. And and I think the day you got back from being at home with your family, uh, we had one of those workouts and I remember you telling me you, you wanted to come and I was a little bit skeptical, but I, I sort of warned the rest of the girls and, and many of them um, had been your teammates in the past, at least four or five of them at least. And um, so they were sort of, ready to, to welcome you with open arms. And, and we sort of said, hey, do what you can or do nothing at all, it's totally up to you. And I remember at that time I coached both our junior and our U18 AA teams. Um, and we had a couple of the U18 AA players there as well as the junior players and they didn't really know anyone and it was kind of awkward. And I think we were going in groups and no one really wanted to go in their group. And you were like, I'll go in their group. And I thought to myself, you know, the person who has the most going on here. I mean, you never know what everyone's going through, but let's just assume you oh have God. more going on than anybody else, right? Like anyone else there, like could just easily be like, yeah, I'm going to go with the U18 A girls. And you're like, no, I'll do it. And I thought to my, like, honestly, in that moment, Kobo, I was like, this this girl's going to be our captain. Like to be able to do that and just, I, I don't even know how you, you see the bigger picture. You're in a team environment. And you're like, yeah, of course. And maybe you thought nothing of it maybe you just didn't want to talk to your teammates because you thought they'd be all mushy <laughs> with you. I don't know what your strategy was, but I knew right then and there, you know, I already knew what a great leader you were. And then in that moment, I was like, man, this, this kid's getting a C for sure. Um, and and I'm curious, like coming back into that year, which would have then been your, your grade 12 year. Um, how, do, like, how do you, I guess it was your grade 13 year, which we don't have anymore, but I know you were still pursuing the goal of, of being recruited and playing college hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how did you like flip that switch? Or I guess you couldn't flip the switch like that quickly, but you know, it's still a big year for you hockey wise. And you know, that window only stays open for so long. So how were you able to, you know, go from, you know, that, that challenge to, you know, very quickly having to be the captain and being recruited, man, I put a lot on your shoulders. Sorry. Kobe. Um,
1: I <laughs> no. uh,
0: like, i like, as I'm going through, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so mean. Um, <laughs> but you know, like very quickly, you know, in, in, a in a hockey season, you've got the Stony Creek tournament, which is the most recruited tournament. You know, you, you probably got back here in, I'm going to guess July. You've really got three months to like, Gear up for arguably the most recruited tournament you're ever going to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, like, did you think about that, or were you just trying to get through the day to day? Like, how did that look for you in that that quick turnaround?
1: Man, that that time of uh, my life, I gotta be honest. Like, the lessons I've learned are solid, but the days, were, like the my memory of those days are a little bit hazy. Um, but I think for me, the difference in location helped, meaning everything that happened with my mom was in Japan. And, you know, all the memories of her, the people that, you know, I grew up with that know her, you know, for example, the school I, I was at, you know, the the hockey team I played with, um, all of that was back home in Japan. And I I think it would have been, you know, much, much harder to process everything while carrying not just my own grief, but everyone else's grief of my mom, you know, if if I had to continue hockey back home. Um, And coming over here to Canada, right back after my mom passed, I I don't even think a month had passed after my mom died. I think it was really shortly after the funeral, I flew back here. Um, Because my mom knew that the most important thing for me was just to get it done just to you know go to hockey you know achieve my dreams whatever they were um but she believed in that right and honestly I think my mom would have wanted me to come back here anyways you know and really push through with what I was going through and I think you know have being captain um definitely what wasn't a burden at all it, it was off it was for the better Um, And I know that now. And, uh, you know, I think putting that C on my jersey gave me the opportunity to, you know, now use my lessons and turn them into actions, right? Instead of being that one player on the side, just crying and moping around, putting that C on my chest was like, now I have to be the one to lead people and kind of You know, it took some weight off of my shoulders because I I didn't really, well, obviously I did think about, you know, my mom and I was grieving at that time still, but it wasn't all that. I had so much more going for me, which I could be proud of, right? Um, Being a captain, being someone that my teammates could actually go to to seek advice, to seek help, even though I was going through a lot, the fact that I could still help other people was something that i i was really proud of i was like you know this is me this is who i want to be um and you know solidifying that part of my identity at that age was i think really important um because it really translates to the kind of work i do right now so you know that's uh that's i think how you know i i dealt with it all with being the captain you know i enjoyed it i appreciated it well can
0: you guys believe like she's 23? I'm like (laughs) some sage, some sage life stuff here. And you know what? I think that, you know, one little point I'll just emphasize there is, you know, everyone's got stuff going on and, you know, some is darker and, and grittier than others, but everyone's got a story. Everyone's got something going on and the ability to refocus on something else or prioritize something else um, that that's not easy to do. I've been there. You've been there. Everyone listening has been there. Um, but that, that really is the gift to be able to um, focus on the other and, you know, celebrate, you know, the, the things that are going great, even when some things are going challenging. And and that takes me into, you know, for those of you listening, you might be like, wow, she has to be the captain and she's dealing with her mom. Well, things are going to get a little tougher here real quick. <laughs> so we're at the stony creek tournament which is the most recruited tournament and she's got the sea on her jersey and we're playing the chicago mission always a great team shout out to the chicago mission great fluorescent green jerseys love it
1: no Um, team japan is also upstairs watching me
0: oh yes, they were there at that tournament okay team japan is watching also no pressure (laughs) no pressure playing the mission who are great Uh, we were pretty good but they were great and um i think it was in the third period you got kind of slew-footed from behind, not on purpose, for sure not on purpose, just like a mess going for the puck and you end up getting a concussion. Um, yep. From that fall, you know, the whole shebang, like the the uh, ambulance comes, they bring the stretcher, the whole like, and I, I don't know how many people are watching, right? But like people are there definitely to watch the mission. Japan's there to watch Kobo. Hopefully some people are there to watch us. And there's got to be hundreds of people in the stands for sure. Um, and I remember you, you refusing to be, to get on the stretcher and just being, you're just hilarious. I mean, your energy is, <laughs> you're just making jokes like it's like another day at the rink. Um, but, you know, I remember having to go to the the hospital with you, um, you know, in, in Hamilton there on the mountain and uh, you know, getting checked out, which you absolutely refused to do. And I would have <laughs> been the same. I'd be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And, and I'm fairly certain your grandpa was at that game, which he didn't always come to all the games, but he was there as well. Um, she so had family there. And, uh, you know, that, you know, in the moment, none of us knew um, how serious that concussion would be or or what was to come. Um, I can only imagine, you know, how you felt in that moment. Um, but I wanted to talk about, you know, you you conveyed to me, which I had no idea about, uh, in coming out of that concussion, that there were some some big cultural differences in terms of how us as as Canadians or North Americans kind of deal with concussions, and how you know your grandpa or your, your Japanese culture kind of deals with injuries. So I, I'd love you to kind of share that because I think some people listening um, and they may have those cultural difference or just you know, maybe their parents uh, are kind of more the the suck it up variety. Um, and get back out there. So maybe you could speak to that and in, in the challenges of maybe the mixed messages you were getting about returning to play.
1: Yeah. Uh, concussion protocol was not a thing um, back home in Japan. Maybe it is now things might have changed. Um, but growing up, I have never heard of concussion. Like in Japanese, it's called no shinto, but I've never heard of that word um, growing up. You know, people didn't talk about it. You ding your head, you pop an Advil, you know, and my my dad's an old school player, too. He played, you know, way back when. And he's also the type of player he's like, yeah, I've seen stars, but, you know, never labeled it as a concussion. So, you know, we just just brush it under the rug. We're like, it doesn't exist. You're you're fine. Um, So I had that mentality all throughout, you know, growing up playing sports. Uh, I've been playing sports. Ever since I, I knew how to throw a ball, you know, um, I was, you know, playing on teams by the time I was in like the second grade. I played, you know, volleyball, basketball, softball, soccer, hockey. I took swimming I, I, like sports revolved all around me. Um, but, you know, in terms of injury with any of these sports that I had, I broke a finger. You tape it up, you freeze it and you you get right back into the game, you know. Um, You sprain your ankle, you you tape it up, you freeze it, and you get back in the game. You know, it was very much a suck it up and play culture. And honestly, the suck it up and play was praised. You know, uh, I used to be praised. Oh, you're so strong. You're so resilient. Um, without realizing the actual repercussions of, you know, not taking care of your injury, which ha- which I noticed when I came over here. And everyone's like, no, take a break, take a break. I'm like, screw you guys. What do you mean take a break? Like, are you guys, what? You guys think I'm soft? Like, I, I took it as an insult, you know? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 I should be back on the ice. This is nothing. Like, I'm, I'm fine. What are you guys worried about? And so, uh, you know, having these morals growing up and then having them completely switch when I moved here, I, I couldn't really take it in, you know? I could have been like, yeah, okay, I should take a break. Um, But there's no such thing as uh, taking a break being Japanese. It's just go, 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 go. So, um, yeah, I definitely had a lot of mixed messages. And uh, unfortunately, I stuck with my former morals and did not take the proper time to recover from any of my concussions, really. Um, Jumped back in a little too quick.
0: Oh, fair enough. You're speaking, you're preaching to the converted here, uh Kobo, because I did the same thing. And, and growing up here, uh, when I was young, many, many moons ago, it was the same thing. And you were praised for, you know, being tough and sticking it out. And, and I would say it's changed a bit. But in my time coaching, at you know, the highest levels of girls hockey, you know, there's, there's very few players who are like, okay, I'll take time off, like they're fighting to get back on the ice or get back on the field um you know at least at least the players like you who are so driven and and want to get to the next level and are going to go on to achieve great things it's pretty hard to to keep them off the ice so um you know you weren't wrong in that regard but you know certainly as we're learning with concussions um you know those things take a little bit more time and let's not forget everyone who's listening right we're not just dealing with a concussion here we're dealing with concussion plus you know the grief of losing a parent so you know there was some some tough times then I think, you know, I agree, you know, we we probably, you know, let you try to come back a little quickly. Um, you know, we did, you know, get, get you medical advice and you were getting some treatment um, for it, but uh, I know there was another tournament in Detroit uh, a couple months after the one in, in Stony there. And, and uh, it might've been even just six weeks. And, and you were pretty hell bent about playing in that tournament. I know I had some, some reservations about it. Uh, but you were cleared by the doctors, right? We followed the the concussion protocol. Um, so you had the green light to go. And honestly, Kobo, this, this is probably like my hardest moment as a coach, watching what happened next in this story. And I'll tell it. I know you're good at telling it. It's funny, actually, the it's way you tell hilarious. it. It's not <laughs> hilarious. Honestly, guys, she's hilarious when she tells it. And like my heart goes like into my ankles when she tells it. So... <laughs> Why don't I let you tell this one, Kobo, just for the the, the laugh factor? Um, yeah,
1: you know, but- I, I obviously hide the seriousness of what went on with laughter because, you know, a lot of times that's the best way to deal with things, to take life a little less seriously and just be like, ah, but yes, it was really serious. So what had happened was, this is in Detroit, this, the ice was garbage. Um, There's already been, you know, a lot of games happening there. And uh, at this point, I don't know if any of you have played on ice like this, but there was a divot before, like a divot in the ice um, by the boards, like all around because the ice was either, I don't know, used up or starting to melt, but there was a divot all around. And so players would actually get stuck there. So what, what happened with me was, I was skating back to the bench, you know, it was time to change, I was going back super quick and I stopped right in the divot and I, boom, hit my head right onto the bench. I was going full speed and uh, I clocked out, I fell onto the entrance of the uh, the bench, so my feet were sticking out on the ice and uh, my body was on the bench and... Um, and all I remember hearing was laughter, cause it was hilarious. I I skated right into the boards. That's what it looked like, and uh, you know, and then I start to close my eyes, and then I wake up and I hear Pap, Pap's mom. Uh, she was the um one of the teammates' uh, mom. She was, uh, I believe, she's a nurse, is or is she a doctor or
0: ER nurse? Uh, I believe
1: she's a ER nurse. Yeah. So I hear her voice. She's like, "Cabo." Kobo, Kobo. And I wake up and I come to my senses and I'm like, yeah, I have a concussion. That's what's going on in my head. But obviously, I'm not going to say that out loud. Everyone's telling me, are you OK? Like, you know, how are you doing? Can you see like what's the date? Whatever. Where are you? Um, asking me all these questions. Um, and then it's a little hazy, but I remember the ice being cleared. We ended the second period early So the stretcher can come onto the ice and pull me off the ice um, because I was just super wobbly. And I remember sitting, uh, sorry, lying down on the stretcher. And all I remember saying is, I don't have travel insurance. Don't take me to the doctor. I don't have insurance. That's all I remember saying. Um, But, you know, against my wishes, they took me to the hospital and I was charged a lot of money for the ambulance fee. And I was upset. But that's OK. That's aside from the story. But yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty funny moment. Looking back at it now, obviously, at that time, it was devastating. But looking back on it, the fact that I was, you know, uh, 17, 18, and I was like, I have no insurance. Don't take me to the hospital. That's uh, pretty much the what I remember from the story. Oh my gosh. I, every
0: time you tell it, I'm like, this is what you're thinking, but we think about weird things, I guess, in, in these types of moments. And, you know, I remember the door being, Oh, I can see it. Actually. I can see this whole thing play out in my head. And (laughs) it's gotta be, it's gotta be six or seven years ago now, for sure. And, um, you know, those other, you know, those of you listening who are coaches, you know uh, I don't know if you've had these moments, but I've had a few moments when players are seriously injured and you know, there's, there aren't many worse feelings in the world. Uh, they're obviously in your care. This one, like I said, instantly, my heart dropped out of my body. It was like, I got hit with a stun gun. I I don't, I think I was just in a daze for the rest of the tournament. I know you were too, obviously for different (laughs) reasons, but I was like, things were happening. I think I was supposed to coach the U 18 team as well. Like I I did, I coached all those games. I was present, Mm -hmm. like physically, but all I could think was about you And, you know, the fact that this was another concussion and dealing with the mom and all these things. And it it was really hard for me. I know that sounds a little bit selfish, but, um, you know, I had to put on an an act and be like, okay, like we're going to go win the next game and we're going to be strong. And and all I wanted to do was like drive you home Uh, (laughs) immediately, like get like I was going to drive the bus, you know, and take us back to Toronto so we could get it all figured out. And maybe that's what we should have done. I don't know. There was definitely some uh, logistical challenges with the medical treatment. I remember, you know, you went to the hospital and then we had to kind of keep you with us because we couldn't leave you at the hotel. So you're like sleeping on the couches at this rink in Detroit. I mean, it was, it was, it was a whole thing, but um,
1: honestly, I think for me to be treated as still part of the team and not someone that caused, you know, uh, issues or, you know, obviously I think I, I, I know now that, you know, it, it did affect other people, um, you know, emotionally or mentally. Um, but I, I didn't at that time. All I wanted for me was like, I just don't want to be a burden. You know, I didn't like the fact that, you know, parents had to miss their own kids game because they were busy taking me to the hospital. You know, I the fact that, you know, someone always had to be with me on the bus or like, you know, had we had to take a separate car, things like that. I I hate it and so the fact that you know maybe it would have been a better decision if I went home but for me I enjoyed the fact that I was able to stay with my team and feel like I was still part of it even though I was you know out of my mind. Um, I I appreciated that like 100% to stay with the team. You were definitely never
0: a burden and uh, (laughs) you know I think it's important for players to realize that. That's you know, these things are, are part of sport. And, you know, you had a, a, a tough go of it there with with the multitude of things going on. But there are other, other players, other coaches, other people out there who have a lot of stuff going on. And, um, you know, that's that's part of the, the joy of being part of a team, right, is that we're there to help each other and we're there to support each other. and And yeah, it means, you know, maybe missing out on some things or changing up the itinerary or what have you. I know I have some memories of us walking around gas stations when, you know, you were having some, some, uh, some anxiety issues on the bus and we had to stop the bus and get off and walk around. And I can still picture those, those gas stations, but at the same time, you know, the, the alternative is you don't say anything. Right. And you don't Mm -hmm. ask for help. And then, you know, where my brain goes when, when those things happen. Um, So again, disclaimer number three (laughs) about to get darker my friends if you can imagine it um I promise the phoenix part of this story is coming just gonna take us a while to get there but I'll I'll make sure in the notes of the show to tell you when like all the the happy stuff starts again um (laughs) so that we you can just clock in you can hear how awesome she was you know coming here and playing hockey and then the, the phoenix part at the end um so things got dark quick I know you don't remember this chronology I'm a little hazy on it too uh, I do remember we had a game in Etobicoke uh, at that point, our, our team wasn't doing very well. Um, and we we well, were out in Etobicoke playing, which is about, I don't know, 45 minutes from where our home rink was. And we were up, I don't know, maybe we had a two goal lead after two. Like we were, we were playing really well. I remember you were there in the stands. We had a lead going into the third and then we had some teammate drama. This happens, whatever. And then we crashed like a, you know, a, like a, a ship going down. We were like the Titanic. We just went down real quick. I uh, ended up losing that game. I remember you being really mad. I can't remember if you came into the room and like gave it to the girls. I, I don't remember if you did. I know you were the captain. So you had every right to do that. I know you were in the stands watching. Um, but you were mad. We were all mad. And we sort of said, okay, well, we had, we had a game the next day. I cannot remember who we played the next day. Um, But we're like, hey, we're going to regroup from tomorrow. And I remember showing up at the rink the next day. I think I was running from something else. And I saw you in the hallway chatting with the assistant coach. And uh, like, that's a memory I'm not going to forget. I don't know if you want to go into
1: that one um we can let's let's go there kobo I mean we're it's all on- part of it man. it's, it's all, all part, part of the reason why I'm standing here today you know absolutely
0: uh as you are uh very proudly and successfully so um so I I came in and it was very quickly apparent to me that you were in a very bad place um physically mentally and that we had to deal with that so you know give us like maybe the the short version of what happened, you know, between that game and Etobicoke, where you were there watching and getting to that rink probably the next afternoon um for that next game and, and kinda where you were like mentally and physically at that point.
1: Man, I was gone. Like mentally, I was I, I I I don't know where I was. I was not inside my body. You know, I I would define that experience as out of body for sure. Um, I definitely did not feel like myself. Um, what happened after that game, I remember being really pissed, but not pissed at the team. I was really pissed with myself. I was really mad at myself that, you know, I couldn't be there with my team, for my team, and to help pick things up, you know, when, you know, like you said all the time when, sorry, no cuss words, but when shit hit the fan, Um You know, when that happened, I was like, why am I not on the ice with my girls? And so I was extremely frustrated with myself and my circumstances and on my drive home. And see, this is another thing. I spend a lot of my time going from rink to rink alone. Right. I, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, parents are driving, but I had to, you know, drive myself to places. My grandpa was still working. Um. And so I drove home myself, and I started to get a panic attack on my way home. It was real bad. I started to have really terrible, deep, suicidal thoughts. I was absolutely ready to crash my car and uh, just leave it all behind. It was a really out-of-body experience. I was not in control of, you know, the wheel. I, I should not have been driving at that time. Also, I'm recovering from a concussion. I don't know why I was driving, um, but, you know, I I was really ready to just be like, screw it. I don't want this anymore, you know. Every, you know, people are dead. You know, I have concussions. My hockey's over. I can't do anything. You know, I, I felt hopeless and helpless that, I I couldn't do anything. I had no control over any part of my life. And I think I always grew up wanting control over things, right? I was always the group leader. I was always the first person that talked in class. Like I was always, you know, uh, I always had control over situations. And at this point in my life, it felt like I had absolutely no control not even control of how I felt when I woke up you know what I would be doing how I felt you know I'd wake up and I have a headache and I'm like why is this so out of my control um so at that time I was in a real real dark place I'm happy I'm out of it um obviously but that time was uh, a monumental moment of my life it was it was that you know rock bottom and uh, the next day, you know, I got to sleep on it. And I was like, what the crap am I doing? Like, what, is, what am I doing? Why am I trying to, you know, um, do things that I'm going to regret later, right? Um, and so I talked to Ron's, the assistant coach. I was like, hey, I think I tried to kill myself yesterday and I need help. I don't think I'm okay and I need to figure it out. And that was the conversation that I had with Ron's. And again, I don't remember much of how that conversation went or what happened afterwards. But I just remember being like, I need to call someone because I knew that I couldn't call my dad. Uh, you know, couldn't call home because, you know, they were dealing with so much, too. And again, I didn't want to be a burden. I couldn't tell my grandpa he he wouldn't understand he's in that you know he's a part of that era where mental health doesn't really exist. You just you know bottle it up and maybe it'll come out before you die generation. Uh, um, you know I, I didn't really have anyone to tell um, what I was going through and Ron's was the first person I saw at the rink and it came out. It could have been, honestly, anybody else, but Ron was the first person that I saw, and so she was the one that had to, you know, have this conversation with me, which I go back on now, and it's like, it's a lot to put on somebody else, but I'm glad that she was there for me, and uh, she she was comfortable enough for me to open up to, so, well, yeah. I'm, I- I'm really happy it was her that I was there.
0: Well, I'm so happy you had the conversation. Obviously, I'm happy that you're here, and you know, those those thoughts you were having were not uh, things that you acted upon. And, you know, again, so sorry that you had to go through that. And I remember walking into that conversation. Um, I saw you there uh, chatting with Ron's and you didn't look like yourself. And, um, you know, we we quickly, you know, I don't even, again, should have canceled the game. Like, peace out. Let's go to the hospital. We played the game. I think you were in the timekeeper's box with... Um, one of the parents because we wanted to keep you you close and I remember taking you to the hospital again after the game a different hospital this time and um you know like uh, I'm just so happy you said something and I think that's you know a vulnerability you're strong you're a strong person we know that and to be able to say that um to somebody else you know I think hockey gives us that opportunity you've got teammates you've got coaches who care about you you know whether you have that in in a sport, or if you're listening, and if you have that in a, a coworker or a friend or a family member, um, you know they're gonna want to hear that conversation. It's not an easy conversation. It's a hard thing to say, um, but the alternative is is much much worse from from bottling it in. So, you know we'll we'll go through this. You know basically what happened. Koba went to the hospital. Uh, we made a decision to have her move into my house with me and my family, who at that point was me, my husband. Ah, I can't remember how old the kids were, but let's say they were four or two and like six months old. So just a quiet little environment for you to come into, yep. um, not busy at all, uh, but, you know, a lot, lots going on. And, um, you know, I guess maybe try to have some level of normalcy. I'm not sure that my family would ever be called normal. But, um, you know, at that time you were, you were working and I remember you working at uh, a couple different restaurants, but, you know, you had a job. And, and you were working and, and uh, you know, so you so you couldn't play. You were working. You're dealing with your mom. Now you're dealing with all of this stuff. And uh, I remember, oh, by the way, everyone, we're going to start. We're starting to come out of the hole now, okay? We're going to come out of this hole. <laughs> uh, it's beginning now, just so you've been warned. Uh, it's not getting, well, I don't know. I might get a little we'll it might see. Still be touch we'll and see. go for a moment There's here. a little ups and downs, you know. Some, some roller coaster rides here. But uh, I remember taking you to you know, uh, like a concussion clinic to get you treatment, like physical treatment, um, but also some mental health stuff. And that finally, I guess, is getting addressed in more of a formal way, uh, which I think is, you know, a big aha moment for me as a coach. You know, when we look at this timeline, you know, from the point that your mother passed until the time you actually really spoke to someone about your mental health, it was probably like four or five months, um, which it's a considerable amount of time. Um, you know, and and then you compound that with, with a couple concussions and and obviously what happened that night as you were driving home. Uh, but you know, obviously we needed to get, uh, you know, the panic attacks and and the anxiety, um, dealt with. And and I remember taking you to these uh, appointments and, um, you know, I remember one in particular at, at Sunnybrook at their concussion clinic, which was amazing. And and they let you in, even though I think you had to be under 18, but you had just turned 18. And, um, there was another coach here at Leeside at the time who basically helped get you in there. And I'm so grateful they did. Um, but I don't know if you, if you remember, or if you can talk about what it felt like to finally get that piece of the puzzle addressed. Cause you had support, you know, with your teammates and and coaches, you had, you know the physical aspects of the concussion being dealt with, but to finally have some of that mental health um, you know some some professional help uh, with the mental health, you know, how did that feel for you, you know, kind of it coming out of this this period of darkness?
1: It was definitely, as you say, an aha moment. it was you know to really lean on someone. Um, that knows their stuff. So I got really lucky. Well, first off, I got really lucky that you took me in. And I I just want to say out loud that I I really truly appreciate, you know, having family around me during that time where I didn't. I would come home to an empty empty house, right? Um most days. And I, I spent most of my time alone. So to have a little bit of you know, even if you're, you're saying it's not normal, but having a little bit of normalcy in terms of family, um, was really, really important to me and to have that and then go also see this specialist. Um, so I got really lucky with her. She was, uh, she, she had, a uh, you know, uh, multiple different, you know, uh, professions, I think, like, I think she was, She was in grief counseling, but she also dealt with, like, head trauma clients, I believe. Um, And so I was that perfect mix of both um, of her expertise. And I was someone that was dealing with both head trauma and grief and had a lot of trouble processing anything. Um, You know, at that time, I had panic attacks almost every day. Um, they would last pretty long. And before I saw her, I had no idea how to deal with them. I didn't even know what they were. You know, I couldn't even understand what was happening to me. Like, why am I hyperventilating Why can't I breathe? Like what I is it in one or out two? Like how do I do this? And uh, when I saw her, she you know, gave me the different tools that I needed to, you know, uh one deal with my panic attacks which was really really important for me to get my head straight um so dealing with my panic attacks to dealing with and talking about grief and I think having her explain to me how important it is to talk about these things helped me really overcome it you know it's been for as you said four or five months everything that you know has been going on has been in my head, in my broken head, you know. Um, I can't even process what I'm going to eat for, you know, lunch today without, you know, thinking about something else. And I had to also think about, you know, the fact that I can't play, the fact that my mom just died, like all these things. Um, But once I talked to her, it was easier to talk about it with other people. And uh, when I started talking about it, you know, it felt, I felt less alone. I felt like, you know, my story could actually benefit other people in some way. Because um, I always fe- felt like sharing was overwhelming for other people. It was a burden, you know, and I think it's a Japanese saying, um, you know, we say like, wo kakenai, which means don't be a burden to other people. You know, that that's a really big saying in Japan. And, uh, you know, I grew up with that saying. And so I never really wanted to be a burden. But the fact that people welcomed me in open arms, you know, you into your home, this woman that, you know, I shouldn't have even been her client, but she took me in um, and I was able to get free counseling and all of that. Like, you know, I, I started to learn how to lean on other people and realize that, you know, like you say, we're all going through something. And when you need a shoulder to lean on, use it. You know, if you have someone there for you, open up to them. Right. And uh, I-, I think that really helped, especially with my captaincy. Um, I don't know where you're going to go into next, but I I was uh, possibly thinking of um, me having this conversation with a team. Um, so having this conversation with the team about what I was going through and what was happening was a big moment. Um, and all the girls were so sweet. Um, so I prepared a little speech of, you know, what I have been going through, but I didn't just want to leave it at that. I didn't want to leave the conversation as like, Hey, look at all the crap I'm going through. Feel sorry for me. Bye. You know, I wanted it to be a conversation for all of us to feel comfortable talking to each other. You know, I wanted to take the lessons that I've learned through my therapy um, to the team and share that it's OK to lean on other people. It's OK to feel overwhelmed as long as you also feel like it's OK to share. You know, um, it, you shouldn't carry all the burdens on yourself. And people are always willing to give out a you know helping hand. And to understand that, I think at the age of, you know, we're a team of 16 to 19 year olds. I think it was important for all of us to understand that. And I wanted it, you know, that to make sure that the lessons I've learned wasn't only my lesson. I think it was valuable enough to my teammates and as a captain to tell them that, hey, I know I'm going through stuff, but I want you to talk to me. I want to feel useful and helpful. And I never want anyone to feel alone right um so i i'm glad that i i was able to establish that through the lessons i've learned with therapy
0: this is why she was the captain of the team everybody <laughs> right i mean i remember you saying you wanted to do this and i was like oh my god this person is amazing i mean you are amazing you're so inspiring and i remember <laughs> that moment thinking like who in their right mind is going through all this stuff and is like let me make a speech to the team about how i can help them i mean guys <laughs> this is insane and I'm, and and so you know, I got to tell a little story here. I think Kobo, I've shared this with you. I haven't shared it with a lot of people. I couldn't even be in the room for that speech. I I could not go in the room. I would have broken down instantly. I would have changed the whole vibe of the whole thing. Because of course Kobo doesn't cry when she gives this speech. Like, I don't even know (laughs) how you do that. I was hiding in the office and I'll tell you why I was hiding in the office. And this was an aha moment for Kobo, but it was also an aha moment for me. And um, when she was going through All of this, you know, I realized in hindsight, I didn't know at the time, but I was dealing with postpartum depression after the birth of my third kid. I had no symptoms of that. Nothing with my first two. Uh, My daughter, my youngest daughter was born uh, in between playoff rounds uh, the year before all of this happened. And um, she's amazing and everything's amazing. Uh, But, you know, almost from the instant she was born, I just felt off. Um, and something was up. I didn't know what was up. I didn't talk to anybody what was up. I just thought, well, I'm exhausted because I have three kids and I can't play man-on-man defense anymore. So that's what this is. Didn't know what it was. And if I hadn't been in that room when that amazing woman, I wish I remembered her name. I'd give her a shout out here.
1: Maybe we can Google her. Um, I think her name was Karen. Was it not? I don't know, but she was... I should shout have out, remembered her name. Shout out yeah. to
0: Karen or whatever her name is. But I was sitting there listening to her go through these breathing exercises with you or these, you know, uh, grounding exercises with you. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I'm going through the same thing. Like, I was for sure having panic panic attacks like you every day. They weren't long, but they were frequent. I'd have a couple a day. This was, you know, right after my daughter was born. You know, I, I kind of had like, uh, it was like everything went like I got shot with that little light in men in black that just tells you how old I am. But it was like, everything just went dark and I'd have this ringing in my ears and I'd be lying on the ground and I couldn't breathe. And I had no idea what it was coming from. I didn't talk to anyone other than like my immediate family, like my husband, my kids had no idea what was happening. And I don't, I think if I wasn't in there when this woman was going through these things with you, I don't know that I would have gotten help Kobo. Like I, and I remember sitting there and, Doing, I was like cheating off your test. I mean, how weird is that in this moment? I'm like, okay, wait a second. I need this too. But I'm not going to tell Kobo that. And I'm not going to tell this lady that. I'm just going to take some notes on my phone here and figure this out on my own. And, you know, I remember as I started to piece it together, and I don't think I realized it was postpartum until like a year or two later. Like I still couldn't connect the dots for whatever reason. Um, and it took me about two years to talk about it. Uh, but I remember cheating off that test, and you were so open and so vulnerable with everybody, and it like inspired me to do it as a coach. But in the short term, I thought to myself, I can't possibly be whining about feeling icky and having panic attacks compared to what Kobo's going through. Right? So I'm comparing, you know, my feelings with your feelings, which of course we should never do, nor should you compare you know, your slap shot to someone else's slap shot or your scholarship, to someone else's scholarship, but I'm guilty as charged was thinking, I can't possibly be vulnerable in this moment. Cause I need to be strong for Kobo and I need to be strong for the team. And they don't want to hear that. I have multiple panic attacks during the day when, you know, we're dealing with our captain being hurt and our team's not doing well. And I've got three kids at home, you know, like I, I, I can't show any vulnerability and I think if I hadn't been there with you, I don't know what would have happened. It took me two years to come out of that and actually start talking about it. Um, and I, and I not to, I don't want to like steal your thunder here, but I think it's important, you know, when well, you're a parent, you're a coach, you know, there's people around you going through stuff and you think, okay, well, I have to be strong. You know, I'm, I'm the captain of this ship and I can't possibly ask for help. It took me so long. And luckily I had those tools from being in those meetings with you when I was cheating off your test um, that allowed me, you know, to come through some of that. So in a weird way, and I know I've told you this, I have to thank you for that. I mean, had we not gone all the way down this dark tunnel with you, I, I probably would not have gotten out of my dark tunnel myself. Um, but, you know, as we've talked about in this whole call, right like that was an opportunity i didn't even see coming how did i know that sitting there in those appointments with you was all of a sudden going to be the key to me getting well as well so um i want to thank you for that and we're going to switch gears now cuz we need to get into you know the happy part of this story although that was a pretty happy part um finally getting yeah. help um but you know i know you know we we're moving on to you getting into university and you you had the opportunity um perhaps to play hockey at ryerson or at least you were recruited there i guess now it's toronto metropolitan university it's a little hard for me to say tmu but i'll do my best mm-hmm. and you you couldn't get cleared uh, through the concussion protocols to play there so effectively your competitive hockey career the door was just shut you might argue we kind of knew that we probably shouldn't have been playing competitive hockey after all the concussions that we had had but now you had no choice and you were out of hockey um and so at this time you're in what was the name of the program you were in at Ryerson
1: the sport media
0: sport media okay so remember the easter egg I planted like I don't know an hour ago with you guys talking about how she used to make all these pump up videos and take these pictures like we used to at the end of the year have a team meeting that was 45 minutes before practice so Kobo could present these phenomenal video I don't even know where you got all the footage from because it didn't look like you were filming us all the time but it sure looked like you were filming us all the time oh it was absolutely
1: a creep I took (laughs) videos everywhere I was everywhere with a phone but I remember telling
0: everyone like we're in the room we're like these videos are like uh, they're not just like oh like that's nice you pasted some things together like the production quality I know how much time you spent on them (laughs) but you know had then you're, you're in this program in sports media. You've got all these little videos you've been making for the last four years um, when you're involved with the team, you know, these, these unreal hype videos that you came up with. And so this program at, at Ryerson or from so now TMU seemed like a really, really great fit. I think it was in the short term. Uh, so talk about starting your business and, you know, that phone call you, you gave to me it probably a year later, maybe a little bit longer later about how you wanted to go into your business full-time
1: yeah um oh uh where should i even start um well actually i'm gonna go back a little bit to that point of uh being cut from tmu's team um because i think it that was really the starting point um of me realizing that I need to live a life outside of hockey. Um, You know, even, you know, people around me could have known that my hockey career was ending, but I full-heartedly believe that I was still going to be able to play university hockey. Um, You know, that year, earlier on, uh, before the season, um, like, in the summer, I remember, you know, getting fitted for uh, pants and gloves and everything I I got fitted and I I was hoping to actually get my gear and uh, on the day that the team got their gear I didn't have gear and I walk into the room. I'm like where's my stuff and I you know have this conversation with the captain saying hey coach wants to see you that's when I found out that you know I could not play because of the amount of concussions I've had However, they've probably known this decision for a while if my gear didn't arrive, but, you know, we were all hoping that I I could at least practice with a team for that year. Um, and so when they called me into that office, told me I couldn't play anymore, uh, I was devastated. I was like, oh, it's over. I'm my, all my dreams done. What now? You know, uh, I have nowhere to go. but like you said, I was in the perfect program for me and uh I had to switch my mentality from hockey, you know, like from morning to night all I think about hockey to you know this whole new life where I wasn't even thinking about hockey at all. You know, I started to think about what my dreams would be now that hockey's out of my life and I was like you know, maybe I want to work for TSN, Sportsnet. I want to end up there with the, in the big leagues. And uh, that's, um, you know, that, that was my dream for a little while. And then, boom, COVID hit. And this is a lot of, this is a common story with a lot of players my age. You know, I think um, COVID was tough on a lot of students, right, um, that was hoping for that, you know, final high school year with prom and everything or university students I was hoping for a really exciting first year you know Um, I unfortunately didn't get that so when COVID happened we switched to online Uh, I did a full year after we went into COVID and I was like why am I paying a whole bunch of money to take sport media classes you know obviously if you're on route to become a lawyer doctor Um, anything that needs a a proper degree, um, you know, a a really high profession, like, you got to stick with it. But I was in this point of my life where I was like, YouTube is here. I can learn everything that I want to learn on my own. And so uh, what I did was I picked up a camera, you know, because usually TMU allows students to rent, but we couldn't rent because of COVID. And so I just went off. I bought a camera myself. I'm like, I'm gonna just do it myself, see where it goes, you know. Um, I started taking photos of people downtown for free, you know, those TikTok trends. I didn't really take videos of it, but I was like, hey, you know, I just walked up to strangers. I'm an amateur photographer. Can I take some photos of you? Give me like five, ten minutes, let's do a quick photo shoot. I'll send you all the photos after. People, you know, gladly they agreed. Um and uh My big origin story uh, with my, you know, photography and videography was this one person, this girl who I was actually, I was skydiving that day. Me and my friends, we were going out skydiving. Um, Seems like I don't really learn from my lessons. I like to do extreme stuff. Um, But I went skydiving and uh, I brought my camera with me to take some photos of my friends. And there was a couple there taking some selfies in front of this plane. And I was like, hey, I'm an amateur photographer. Can I take some photos of you? I'll send you the photos later. Little did I know, the boyfriend that was taking photos with her uh, was going to be proposing after they came down, you know, from the plane. And I had no clue. They they thought, you know, like the guy was like, does she know who is this person? Because they also did hire a photographer. Um, but I was just some random person that happened to be there. And uh, I was able to capture it all. I took some photos of them before they went up. And then, you know, took some photos of them coming down in the proposal. And then the girl reached out to me afterwards. She still thought that I was part of it all. And I explained to her, no, I, I'm just this random person. I I have no idea who your people are. I have no clue. And she's like, I want to hire you. I want to pay you money. I want to hire you for some grad photos, my engagement shoot, um, some birthday party photos. And I'm like, you want to? pay me money to do this and at this point i had the camera for about two weeks i was like you understand that like i'm a super beginner she's like we'll pay you and i'm like okay done and so that was my very first paying client and uh really all it took was one person to believe in my work um for me to for me myself to realize that I have potential of doing this on my own. Um, And, you know, I think all the circumstances and everything that's happened, it happened for a reason. If COVID didn't happen, you know, I probably would have ended up, you know, working for somebody else, ended up at TSN or Sportsnet. Um, But I think, you know, COVID and a lot of these other things that happened in my past was a weird blessing in disguise. You know, I traded trauma for wisdom. I, I, you know, learned from all my lessons. And I was like, you know what? I, I really do think I can do this on my own. Like, I gotta have my own back. I gotta stop, you know, um, holding up other people, people's expectation of who I'm supposed to be, right? Because at that time, still, everyone else was like, "Oh, are you gonna play for, you know, the university team? Oh, are you gonna play for Team Japan?" And I was like, "Nah, I'm gonna become a photographer." I'm a videographer, like I'm going to be a creative and to be able to, you know, turn people's expectations upside down with a whole different kind of success. Um, felt really, you know, it, it was mine. The success was mine. It was no longer other people's expectations, no, other people's dreams. You know, I was now carrying my own dream. And so, you know, for a lot of hockey players, I think it's important that you believe in your own potential the most, but I don't think I believed in my own potential in the hockey field. Um, I I didn't really trust in my instincts and who I was also because of, you know, how little practice and game time I had growing up. Um, This new thing for me was something where I was like, this is mine and I can do it and no one can tell me otherwise because nobody knows what I'm doing. Um, No one has is an expert, you know, around me on photography, videography. So I can just do it on my own. I can be mediocre and that's fine. And we'll see where it goes from there. And uh, it was I want to say second semester. Yeah. Second semester of my third year. Uh, Second semester, I was like, you know what? I am getting some business. I'm going to put school on the back burner. Right. And see you know, how much I can push this photography, videography thing, and uh, my moment of realization was I was two assignments behind, probably like a week or two late on these assignments, I didn't even know these assignments existed, and I was like, I'm not gonna pass, because I've been just so wrapped up in my paying clients, and uh, I was like, maybe I drop out of school, you know, and, uh, no one has ever asked me for my degree when I'm doing these photo shoots. Um, no one has been like, you know, Oh, what are you studying? You know, what degree do you have? Like, no one really asks that. Um, they just trust in my work. And so I believe that I kind of hit the jackpot where I found a field, um, that didn't, you know, require a piece of paper to prove that I can do what I do. Um, and so I was like, I'm doing it. And I called you because you are definitely a self-made person, you know, from your origin story of starting hockey at 15 and then ending up, you know, um, playing university hockey and doing total female hockey. I was like, there's no one else better to call than you um, to have on my side. Right. And uh, I've been calling a lot of other people to tell them that I was thinking about dropping out. And the feedback that I got from most people was like, are you sure? Like, you know, is this really something that you want to do? You should stick with university. You should get, it's just one more year. Just get that degree. You know, I'm like, yeah, but it's one more year of like not making money. I could start my business early. You know, um, my best friend, she was like fully on board. She's like, do it. Screw school. Do it. You got this. And uh, um, I called my dad, and he was definitely, against it all he's a you know high school teacher that he uh teaches in private school so he sends kids to university and for his kid to not complete university and not get that degree must have been real devastating for him um but I had to tell my dad like this is I think this is really what's for me and then when I called you you you're like Kobo strike when the iron's hot I was like yes I needed to hear that That was really what was like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Things are hot right now. I'm making money. Business is going well. I'm just going to jump right in. We'll see where it goes. I can always come back to school. It'll always be there. But I'm not going to get this youthful energy and passion, you know, back if I stick with something I don't like. Right. Um, So, yeah, having that phone call with you was that big moment. I was like, yep, I'm going to do this. And uh here I am now, have my own photography videography business, things are are booming. It's going really well and uh I don't regret any of the decisions I've made cuz I think it's uh it was my choice and I'm happy that my decisions have been my choice. Well, there we finally got out
0: of the the dark tunnel guys. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that uh in terms of, you know, a a self-realization story, but uh you know I'll always be your your number one hype, uh, hype man or hype woman, I guess. And you you know what, you, you deserve all of this for a a zillion different reasons. Um, So when you guys see good pictures on great pictures on total female hockey or video, those are Kobo. It's not me. Because if you've seen the ones I take that are on there, they're the really dingy looking ones that Kobo (laughs) was always like, Kim, you need to like up your camera game. Um, But you know, one thing I love when Kobo comes out and shoots with total female hockey is She's always like coaching the kids too. So you used to work for me, like as an instructor and she's a great instructor, great coach. Um, And maybe one day I can convince you to come and coach with me again, but uh, you know, she's out there taking pictures, got all this equipment that costs, I don't even know how much money. And then she's like fixing how the kid holds the stick and she's like yelling at the kids to do the drill this way. And, you know, I just, you know, you don't get around a lot of people with this kind of energy and this kind of, you know um, you know, exuberance about life who just, you know, want to help. And, and give everything into to everything that they're doing and and that's something you you've always done even when you didn't have a lot to give. Uh you were always able to give way more than you know we all thought was possible. So, you know, I'd love to to maybe get a nugget or two from you like knowing what you know now. Can we go back to 13-year-old, 15-year-old, 17-year-old Kobo and give them some advice. Um from the oh-so-old-and-wise 23-year-old Kobo who's been
1: through all of this. <laughs> See, this is, uh, you, you prompted me this question um, before I came on to this podcast, and I've been thinking that, you know, what would I have told, really, my younger self, um, which would have been, you know, would have changed things drastically. Um and I don't think I can actually give any sort of advice to my younger self other than everything is always going to be okay. You know, you're always going to come out of it. Whatever it is, you'll get through it. Um you know, you it's just about perspective, right? Um you just got to be able to see the other side. You got to allow yourself to be happy, but you know, young me didn't listen to anybody, so I, I doubt that she'll listen to older me. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm happy that she went through what she went through. You know, obviously, there's a lot of bad things, but right now, all that's come of it is good. Like even, even my mom passing. Obviously, I would have. You know, I would want my mom to be alive, of course. However, you know, since my mom passed, I've, you know, gained perspective. I've become closer, much, much closer with my dad. I've become much closer with my grandfather, much closer with my sister. Uh, my relationships have been better. You know, I've, uh, I've been able to connect with people on a deeper level. You know, things are not so surface level anymore. And uh, I don't think advice would have ever really helped my younger self. You know, um, because sometimes you have to go through things to be able to truly understand it, right? Even if someone older told me, hey, like, this is what you're supposed to do. This is everything's going to be okay. I'm like, no, nothing's okay. Everything is stupid and I hate everything and everything sucks. But, you know, I I really think I needed to go what I went through to be the person I am today. So, yeah, I I just say everything is always going to be okay. You'll come out on the other side happy. It's
0: great advice, Kobo. So yeah, I knew you you you'd knock it out of the park on that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um all
0: right, we're gonna go into a bit of a rapid fire. I think I gave you some of these, but yeah, um, let's go. I don't think I gave you all of them. So Ooh. You need to, yeah, it's so gonna have to be some curveballs in here. All um right. all right, first one, most important one, white tape or black tape?
1: White tape. I actually had to convert though. I grew up with black tape and I came over here and everyone had white tape and I got bullied out of black tape, and so I'm now a white tape gal. Yes. I'm glad we <laughs> could bring you out of the dark side on that one too, Kobo. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> white
0: tape all the way. Okay. Um. What's your favorite moment from being a part of
1: uh, our junior team? My favorite moment, honestly, it seems weird to come out of a hockey player, but was my moments off ice. All of the moments I had off ice with my team have been so precious to me today. Um the conversations I've had the the late nights when we weren't supposed to be up we, when we ordered uber eats like wings at midnight because we were in a hotel room together and we felt like it and kim wasn't gonna come around like you know um those I think were the moments I cherish the most and I think you know some people think obviously it's it's cool and great and important for scholarship opportunities to be on a on a good team on the ice, you know, a team that's, you know, really successful, but in the long run, it means nothing if you didn't develop great friendships along the way, you know, if you didn't enjoy your teammates, it's, it's it's all for nothing. So it's all the moments off ice were my favorite moments. That's awesome. I agree. Culture is everything.
0: And, you know, you, you can't, uh, you know, think you're amazing if you win and you're horrible if you lose and you've got to have a little bit more, consistency and and I've always believed that that culture provides that consistency um whether you you know like I said we've had some amazing teams together and some not so amazing teams together and uh you know hopefully the the culture and the experience was consistent uh whether we were in the top 3 in the league or the bottom 3 in the league all right this is I don't know if I gave you this one maybe I did um what's your favorite kim saying Do you have favorite one?
1: kim saying yeah has to be don't be a dink <laughs> That's the team (laughs) rule.
0: That's team rule. Number one. I only have two team rules. I think I've talked about this before, but maybe not on the podcast. My two team rules are don't be a dink or don't be a jerk because that really guides a whole lot of behavior um, as a, as a guiding principle And the second one and Kobo would love this one. And I'm sure she did was you have to bring cupcakes or cookies or something on your birthday to share with the team and make sure there's enough for the coach. So those are the two big team rules uh, that I've had when I coached the junior team and then I coached the U nine team now with my daughter. So, um, you know, that's a pretty good way to live life. I think, um, now Kobo's a big foodie like me. Uh, Kobo eats more than I do. We used to have a long standing joke that like Kobo would always order two meals at the team meal or eat everyone else's meals that they didn't want to finish, which
1: garbage disposal. Yeah.
0: I I was that too. Uh, (laughs) with a lot of my friends growing up. Um, so what's like what's the favorite restaurant what's where are we going these days kobo like what's the what what's your vibe in terms of uh good eats these days
1: good eats um man I always like a good steak i've been uh you know hopping around a couple of different steak spots man I don't remember the name of one of the spot but uh i i really if you know someone asked me what would you eat on your last day on earth i i, I said Steak and eggs for break, breakfast, steak sandwich for lunch, and a nice uh, sirloin for dinner. Ha, that's a good
0: one. I didn't know that. Actually, I would have guessed chicken wings because I feel like every tea meal we always had, mm. you got chicken wings. But, that was uh, the
1: most, most affordable option, you know? That was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I could, I would have gotten the steak. Guaranteed. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: Um. All right. This one I didn't give you. What's your favorite uh, bubble tea order? I know
1: you love the bubble tea. Bubble tea order. yeah what's your go-to mango green tea any toppings uh tapioca and and, uh the coconut jelly Mm. i tell you i what's
0: yours oh oh, these i'm it depends on what i've been doing beforehand but usually i'm uh like milk tea depending on where i am that changes what type of milk tea Mm -hmm. uh no sugar no ice uh either no sugar (laughs) i know because i get the tapioca um i see or i get the pudding some of them have pudding uh but if uh i think it's cocoa has like well i'm sure all of them do like fresh taro milk tea where it's like you actually get the chunks of the taro that's my jam
1: that is that the purple one
0: yeah it's purple but not the mix not the powder like the real the real thing Mm. where you drink it up it's all chunky that's my go-to but it's it's not all year round so i gotta gotta mm. save up for that but uh... i gotta try that
1: i've the purple has always intimidated me i'm like i don't know if milk teas are supposed to be purple i don't want that but i'll take your advice i'll try one someday
0: next time i get one Kobo, i'll drive down to your place and i'll, I'll drop it yay! off for you.
1: yay <laughs> um
0: okay last one like what's your favorite thing about your job
1: now and, and what you get to do day to day oh favorite thing this is not in order, but at least my one of my favorite things is full autonomy. I love the fact that I have control. you know again, I went through a part of my life where I had to relinquish control and I'm starting to understand that some things in life you don't have control over, but the fact that I have control over my business, um, I really like that. you know I I wake up when I tell myself when I want to wake up, I, I work when I want to work, I work the gigs I want to work. I pay, I charge what I charge, you know, like all these things I have control over. I really like that. But obviously the more uh, fulfilling side um, of my job is, you know, um, to make, you know, hockey players. So I I do a lot of women's hockey, but I I do a wide range of things. I do portraits, weddings, headshots. uh, You know, I also I do couples, family photos. I've done music videos, things like that. Um, But I, I love making people feel special you know, um, I think making people see the way I see them, right, um, and I try my best to see the best in people, and you know, what makes everyone special, and, and um, I, I love the joy on people's faces when when they see, you know, how they look through my lens, right, um, and again, one other thing is being back in the hockey environment, obviously, I think, Unless you're a coach, you know, or, or a trainer, if you've played competitively before, you don't really get to be back in that environment. It's kind of one and done. You're left. You know, you're gone. You're over with that part of your life. You move on. You have other things. But, you know, through my job, I have the opportunity to be right back in the environment and relive these days. And, you know, kind of, you know, like, again, right, bring this saying back um, that's on the back of our T-shirts, do better. You know, I get to come back in this environment and provide something that's, you know, that brings the team happiness. You know, they have team bonding on their media days. They get to, you know, enjoy each other's company and also hype each other up and, you know, have a memorable event in the season. And I think that the fact that I can provide that to um, these all these different teams uh, bring me a lot of joy. So I, I, uh, I really like that part of my job. Well,
0: I could not agree with you more on both of those fronts. I mean, autonomy is why I do what I do. And uh perfect example, like Kobo, you know, you didn't need that university degree because I have three of them and I don't yep. use any of them <laughs> in uh, what I do day to day. But, you know, seeing the best of people is something you've always done. And, and it's cool that, you know, you're physically doing that, I guess, through the camera or through, um, you know, video now. Um, but like I said, there's just this energy when Kobo's out there, like she does. You know pictures uh with my daughter's team so that's the other way in Kobo is you can be like me you have your own kids and then you're that crazy parent who you always vowed not to be and I'm like for sure that person so I've yep. uh, I've never been out of the game but uh it is a different perspective there and um you know you've seen some of that uh with me on my my daughter and my daughter actually wears number three because of Kobo so it's a pretty cool uh full circle moment um, that she's uh sporting the number three because of you, so you know, I'd love to just give you a second to like hype yourself up, uh, tell people <laughs> where they can learn about uh your business captured by Kobo. Um, anyone who's looking for pictures, videos, like I said, I've got some on my total female hockey website, but obviously her social media will show you and her website will show you better things. So, Kobo, this is your moment, hype it up. Thank you, thank you, thank
1: you. So, if you We'd like to get some media days done. If you want to, uh, if you want to get some, you know, live game action photos, I'm your gal. Um, find me on Instagram at captured, but with a K, because you know I'm interesting. So captured with a K dot by Kobo um, on Instagram. Send me a DM. Uh, my email is also there, uh, and we should connect. We'll get a, you know, media day. Some game shoots done for your team. Amazing. And if you want Kobo's information,
0: you can always just contact me. I've referred her to uh, many, many people along the way. So uh, I'll be waiting for that royalty check one day. Kobo, you just uh, keep me. I don't need your royalty check, actually.
1: but One I'm day, happy- one day, one day. I'm-, I'm in hustle mode. Give me a couple of years and uh, you'll have a bonus check in your mail. That's okay. You can <laughs> just keep taking pictures uh, of the orange
0: machine uh, when you have time. I'll, I'll take that as Soul. collateral. Done. Gotcha. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on. As I said, guys, this is like a roller coaster of awesomeness and maybe not as much awesomeness, but, you know, I don't know that there's a better, you know, rising from the ashes Phoenix story than what you just heard here from someone who, you know, changed their life completely in order to come play the game. Uh, and then, you know, had to get out of the game, um, and has built an amazing life and amazing business, um, as a result, or, you know, in connection with, Uh, her experiences in the game. So Kobo, I'm so proud of you. I love you. Uh, I'm so thrilled that you were here. We talked for an hour and a half, but I feel like we could have talked for four. yeah. So, you know, thanks for coming on. I'm going to see you around the rink again soon. And, um, you know, keep working hard and dreaming big.
1: Thanks, Kobo, for coming. Thanks for having me. I really appreciated this. Love you, Kim. Love you, too.